0: From policy to culture, principles to politics, this is The Seth Leibson Show.
1: Welcome back as we head into Hour 3. A delight to bring back, as we do every Wednesday, our constitutional uh, law uh, scholar, Brett Johnson. He is a partner at the Snell & Wilmer Law Firm based here in Phoenix, but uh, with offices across the country. SWlaw.com is their website And uh, Brett, how do I open this discussion? I suppose I would start by saying when Roe versus Wade decided, it created a lot of confusion and a lot of chaos. And ever since we have been dealing with it, including, I suppose it's fair to say, with its overturning, particularly here in Arizona, with a lot of people uh, scratching their heads, especially given a decision that was uh, brought down on September 22nd here in Arizona in a case called Planned Parenthood v. Mark Burnovich. With that mouthful, feel free to, um, to uh, feel free to crit- critique or or or, <laughs> or, or 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 correct anything I just said, or feel free to tell us what's at Um, play in Planned Parenthood v. Bernovich.
2: Okay, and and sounds good, and and this has obviously been in the news, and uh, uh, unfortunately as I talk about quite often when I'm on the show, is is that when the media kind of reports on a case, it gets sensationalized and Really, kind of uh, brought out a, a, a perspective in many cases, and and what I try to reiterate to folks is is that judges are presented facts and a record that is before them. They're not able to, for their own political reasons or whatnot. And don't get me wrong, there's a concept of activist judges that we can talk about at some later point, but most judges are really looking at the record that's before them and saying, listen, I am stuck to what was presented to me. I'm not I'm not able to go and and try to make your case for us, and that's that's what this, this case was in particularly uh, about, especially because it is 50 years old. So in this Planned Parenthood uh, versus Brnovich case, the case actually dates back to 1971, and in that case, Planned Parenthood, which is the same case, by the way, so this case has been around for that long, Planned Parenthood went in and was the pre-Roe versus Wade Arizona law and was trying to argue that that law is, was unconstitutional. Well, that case, 1971, went up and down um, in the courts in Arizona, and then in, um, obviously, we had the Roe versus Wade opinion. Three weeks after that, basically, this court was was had had heard trial on it. So it, that the facts are just just amazing. That you know everything kind of came together at once. So when Roe versus Wade through, which was actually recognized by both the who, but a lot of commentators to, to regard regardless of judicial philosophy, that Roe versus Wade was a poorly written opinion, right. had to be revised several times uh, to then now obviously get to the Dobbs opinion, which we're currently at. So when Dobbs came out, basically you had this lingering case that had a declaratory judgment that was in Arizona that was based off of Roe versus Wade. So you have a court order by an Arizona court that is based off of Roe versus Wade and the attorney general went into the judge and said, "What do we do now? Right. What law is applicable?" Right. Since this case Um, In 1977, the Arizona legislature has issued or has enacted multiple laws that impact abortion, Um, even most recently this last cycle, which was one of the big issues that was before the judge um, dealing with the, the 15 weeks gestational age. So what the, the court, the Attorney General Brnovich brought before the court is said, what are we supposed to do about this order? Interestingly enough, the people who were involved in the case, uh, unfortunately, are no longer with us. And so a lot of the parties had to be substituted. So there, for example, there was a guardian ad litem for all the unborn children that was appointed for, by the court and basically was supposed to provide input um, for the unborn children. A very interesting issue that has not been done for a very long time outside of criminal cases, which is a different story. So a new doctor had to be put in for them. And then the judge said, what do I do now based off of the record that's presented, and and Planned Parenthood in this case really wanted to make it about the Dobbs opinion and all of the litany of Arizona statutes that have passed since Roe v. Wade. And instead, the judge looked at the record and said, listen, what's clearly in front of me is uh, there was a declaratory judgment, an, issue, an order issued by this court in 1977 based off of Roe versus Wade. Roe versus Wade is no longer good law. What's for me is that is technically my previous order, probably several generations back, and I'm lifting the order because the only reason that order was put into place was Roe versus Wade, and the judge left open. If you think that Arizona law has changed since Roe versus Wade, feel free to bring that lawsuit. Feel free feel free to bring that all the way up to the Arizona Supreme Court. But that's not the record that she has in front of us. So take everything I just said based off of the sensationalist um, that in the media of a judge. Taking action, and um, and it really just comes down to the judge doing her job.
1: Okay, fair enough. And 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 I th- and I thank you for that rendering of, of of the history and what brought us to this. To this point, the other uh, series of questions relates to uh, an act that the Arizona State Legislature did uh, pass. What uh, early was it earlier this year when we did something like a 15-week law along the lines of Dobbs, right?
2: That that's exactly right. And so that 15-weeks gestational age uh, law was passed by the Arizona Legislature um, in 22, the uh, 2022, this past session, um, and it was meant to mirror exactly what. Was was in Dobbs. Right. Now, you got to remember, let's talk about Dobbs for a second. Dobbs originally took that, that 15-week gestational age and was arguing that it was constitutional. When the court changed its makeup, um, at that point, uh, the, the plaintiffs in Dobbs changed their argument and then made it made it an argument that Roe versus Wade needed to be overturned. Right, they right. took that opportunity. So right. Arizona was just kind of catching up uh, to Texas and, and or Mississippi in many of, the, of these respects. So when, when that, um, so the 15 weeks, but inside all of these Arizona laws that the judge actually went through, it specifically said uh, those, those statutes that they were not overturning the basically the territorial law that was incorporated into our statute. So every single time they made an, abor- um, an abortion statute in Arizona, they reaffirmed the previous law. And that's something that the judge really hung her hat on is like, listen, they, the legislature reiterated that they want this law to be the law of the land, um, but they can't. And so therefore they're making modifications on it. So when it reverted back, it went back to the legis- um, to territorial law.
1: Right. Okay. So if I understand that approach appropriately or uh right correctly, when the legislature acted this year to do something like what Mississippi did, it kept language in that legislation right in this yeah. current it it had language in there that said we are nothing here will change or alter the territorial law the first and law. They-
2: they were very specific right. about it and i'll right. even give you a quote it says we do not the legislature does not repeal by implication or otherwise section 13-3603 or any other applicable state law regulating or restricting abortion. So that was that was inside the 2022 law, and that's what the judge hung her hat on, is that that did not impact her decision. But she even went, again, one step further in saying, it's like even if that were to happen, I have a declaratory judgment from 1977. That's the order I'm looking at. That's the only thing that's before me. The fact that the law, statutorily, may have changed since then, that wasn't before her. And she really made that hit home. She goes, if you want to sue on all the laws that came after 1977, go for it. Just not in my courtroom.
1: Understood. I think so. That, (laughs) But well, well, there's a predicate question before I get back to 1977. And the predicate question is this. Why would the state legislature deliberately pass abortion law at all? if it was going to contain preserving language to the original law that would not overturn it
2: yeah, and you saw this in many um, states across across the country, and even more so um, uh, when the, the Supreme Court um, changed its makeup of what we call triggering laws. okay? okay? Yeah. So when the Supreme Court, if the Supreme Court takes this action, this Arizona law would immediately go into effect. And that is basically the triggering law here is is that if if Roe versus Wade is overturned, this is what the legislature meant, then we get to go back. To um, the, the original law from 1978.
1: I got you. So, in some yeah. respects, they were passing a law with the preservation language in 2022, assuming Roe wasn't going to be overturned. But if in that event it does, we go back to the territorial law.
2: That's exactly right. right. And that was consistent in all of the statutes since 77.
1: Brett, let me take a quick commercial break, if I can, and pick up with you on the other side of that. Is that on the other side of the break, if you have time? Do you have a a few more moments? Thanks. I'm Seth Leibson. He's Brett Johnson from the Snell & Wilmer Law Firm, our constitutional legal resident, uh, uh, in-house resident. We're delighted to have him. And we will be both right back.
0: Kids I'd ever seen in this front yard, as they handed me my glass, smiling, thinking to myself, walking on. The-
1: Welcome back to the Seth and Show portions of which are brought to you by my good friends at Y-Refi. If you're looking for a remarkable investment opportunity, do check Y-Refi out. They are offering a fixed interest rate up to 10.25% for investors, all in a secure and collateralized portfolio. Y-Refi is a due diligence approved firm run by, as I say, great people who are investors doing well by doing good for others. You can check them out at investyrefy.com. That's the word invest, the letter Y R E F Y dot com. or give them a call at 855 855 3163087. Brett Johnson is our guest. He's a partner at the Snell and Wilmer Law Firm. He visits with us every Wednesday with his uh, constitutional insights and thoughts and explanations. We're talking about uh, the abortion uh, situation law in Arizona, especially after the September 26 uh, ruling in Planned Parenthood v. Brnovich. So, Brett, as I understand you, uh, what was decided in Planned Parenthood v. Brnovich was – effectively a long time coming that litigation had been going on since what 1977
2: right that's right actually 1971 but the order was from the order was from 1977
1: yeah. so it redounds at the end of the day to a situation where we are now back to the territorial law correct correct which uh outlaws abortion at any stage save for the life of the mother correct
2: that's correct. There now, are not the other uh, kind of traditional exceptions for rape, incest or molestation.
1: Right. All that is, is extant in that law. And correct. so the question then becomes, if, if 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 the governor, legislature, the state representatives here want to change that, or if anyone wants to change that, that's the vehicle, right? The state legislature in their next session can write new abortion law. I take it. Am I right about this?
2: That's absolutely right. So they can they can write new laws to provide clarification. Um, obviously, we have a strong initiative uh, process here in the state of Arizona um, to to uh, that that the people can do it. Um, in fact, there was a proposed initiative that that got on the street but did not get enough signatures, um, trying to address this exact issue. So that that's pro that is the next step. Now, of course. Planned Parenthood uh, did not does not want to give up this litigation. <laughs> he hopefully, doesn't go on for another fifty years. Oh, tell me about but. that.
1: Tell me about their interest in the litigation here going forward. Okay, go ahead. Yeah.
2: So. So, they're, they're litigating. so they have what's called requests, um, a motion um, for stay of, of issuance of yeah. this order yeah. um, and to take it up to the Court of Appeals. Okay. And they've already filed that paperwork. They have not um, gone to the Court of Appeals yet, but it's only it's only going to be a matter of time before the Arizona Supreme Court hears this case. And the reason why I think that that's going to be the more expeditious route rather than going through the legislative process for um, the Planned Parenthood plaintiffs in this case is, um, is that there has been... In, you know statements by elected leaders about the ambiguity of the territorial right. law right. and how it applies in the modern era. Right. So you have uh, um, uh, Maricopa County attorney Rachel Mitchell making a comment. You have Governor Ducey making a statement. Right. Um, and all of those quotations were put into the request for stay um, before this judge.
1: Because there still tends to be or seemingly is some form of confusion or other over... Application, yeah. right,
2: and that that's correct. Yeah. That's correct. It's, and basically, does um, the legislature's law from last session, the 15 weeks gestational yeah. age, does right. that conflict with the territorial? So,
1: law? so there's a good betting chance. I would, I, I, I presume there's a good betting chance that an appellate court, whether it's the state of uh, state court of appeals or the state supreme court, they can stop this order. They can stay this order pending uh, further litigation or pending further lit- legislation. I presume.
2: No, not not for uh, pending further legislation. Okay, they okay. would only be able to do that pending the, 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 the lawsuit itself. The the courts are, are lukewarm to issuing a stay pending a, another political act. All Let's
1: right. So this is way. in the hands of the courts if the appeal is accepted.
2: That's correct. And, That's correct. I- and if
1: the state legislature wanted to do something about the territorial law, it, it would be doing so irrespective of this line of uh, th- this 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 uh, this line of trial, right? It would just. Yes create a brand new law, period, with no preservation language, theoretically.
2: That's exactly right. Or just amend the territorial law to say whatever you want.
1: Okay, which is that thirteen thirty, whatever it is. Yes. yes. Arizona Revised Statutes, Chapter 13, is is all they would have to do. (laughs) Easy for me to say, right? That's all they would have to do. (laughs) But they could. But they could. I guess within that little little, uh, snicker that I gave, there is a lot of latitude in to what they could do, right? There is nothing stopping them from doing what Mississippi did, exactly, or even playing around with it, right? I mean, they could have... I, yeah, the I Supreme
2: Court, yeah, the Supreme Court... was the a Supreme green Court light God, for us to
1: do whatever we want, is what I'm guessing.
2: It, absolutely. So long as it doesn't impact another constitutional right, of right, course, right? Yeah, but, right? But not the one that, that was the underpinning... Not the, right, the right to priority. an abortion, right. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, so, but there are many states, and, and the argument would be, and this is what you know uh, the judge was making reference to. Is the, I just don't have it in front of me. Yeah. Is, is that there? You know, there are other Arizona constitutional provisions. There's other statutes and other laws that are that are implicated. Um, possibly even some U.S. constitutional ones, but that's going to be much harder to do in light of Dobbs. So this is really back in the hands of the state. Which again, as I've mentioned on the show before, that's exactly what this U.S. Supreme Court really wants to do. They want to make federal judges not busy. They want the state court judges in the Court of Appeals yeah. and, and the Arizona Supre- uh, Supreme Court to be addressing these weighty issues based off of the needs of their individual states.
1: Am I silly for assuming that or for wanting to lay the bet that a court, a court of appeals will stay this order and it will all be resolved by the legislature in next term? Is that a smart bet?
2: I would not.
1: You would not no, that. You no, would not be my. Okay.
2: You would not give me a
1: line on that one. Okay. No, no, no. and,
2: and I'm, we, we can have that conversation after November eighth. Oh.
1: <laughs> no, that's a fair point, Fred Johnson. No, but thank you for the light on all this. Because yeah, you're right. I mean, this is complicated stuff. It has been complicated ever since 1973. Made more so. By subsequent uh, legislation, but also subsequent uh, Supreme Court decisions. And then, of course, uh, by, 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 by the Dobbs decision itself, leaving the states where they are. Uh, something we had been asking for, but maybe weren't quite certain as to... Be prepared for. Is that fair to say we weren't quite prepared? No, I, I for think all
2: that is. And, and interesting when you when you follow the academics um, in regard to the abortion laws over the last fifty years, you know they, there was a lot of discussion. It's kind of like you know in the military, you make a great battle plan, but then the, the first hit with an enemy, your battle plan goes away. And that's kind of what they've done here. They've they've tried to plan so so far, and and then reality hits in. And how yeah. do we actually implement it? Yeah. So that's that's. Uh, That's the issue, but I guarantee you there's very smart people uh, (laughs) weighing these issues and deciding them.
1: Thank you, Brett Johnson. I appreciate it, and hopefully they'll be taking your counsel as well as they usually do when something smart gets done. I'm Seth Leibson. He is Brett Johnson from the Snell and Wilmer Law Firm. Again, SWLaw.com. Don't go away. We have a lot more. We'll be right back. Great. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. As I uh, will not cease stating until uh, the election this November, I think the most important race in preventing Arizona from becoming like one of these other places that we look to and say we want nothing like that, Los Angeles, uh, California, San Francisco, California, uh, Chicago, uh, Philadelphia, Detroit, New York City at this point. Uh, If we want to stop... Uh, that kind of lawlessness and that kind of social destruction. The race that matters is our county attorney's race. They call them district attorneys in other communities. Here we call them our county attorneys. That's why I am all in for and so supportive of our county attorney, Rachel Mitchell, who is on the ballot this November. If you want to help her out or learn more about her, you can go to her website, rachelmitchellformaricopa.com. Rachel Mitchell from Maricopa.com. When I saw the story that was the subject of my um, monologue earlier today, Arizona kids are losing their lives to counterfeit pills containing fentanyl, I knew the one person I wanted to talk to was Rachel Mitchell. Rachel, welcome back. Sorry for the long wind up.
3: No problem. Thank you for having me back, Seth. Good to At, be
1: here. I, I love that you are always available to us uh, on these major stories. Uh, we may have just lost her, Jeremy, if you'll just call her right back. I'll um, uh, We'll get her right back on. I can do this part of the intro. Um, in regard to the Arizona Republic story about Arizona kids losing their lives to fentanyl, um, we also get a treasure trove of data that blessedly came in. in. It's called the Arizona Youth Survey, which is done by the Arizona, put out by the Arizona Criminal Justice Commission every couple of years, on which Rachel Mitchell sits. Rachel, do you want to say a word about what the Arizona Criminal Justice Commission is? Um, I can talk more about the youth survey, or you feel free to if you want, but you sit on the Criminal Justice Commission, and they gave us this great document here.
3: Yes, uh, the, the youth survey that they gave us, they do every two years, mm-hmm. and they, uh, they look at different, uh, all the different counties within um, Arizona, and it's really helpful yep. to guide us in terms of you know where the problems are, where the lack of information is, and so it's it's extremely helpful for the purpose of formulating you know policies and focuses.
1: One of the things I want to get to in it in just a moment that it is very helpful on. You're right; it has a treasure trove of information that can be very helpful on where the where the gaps are that we need to fill. Is not only um, two areas we'll get to in a moment. How much our children know about fentanyl it turns out a lot less than probably many of us figured. And where they get their illegal drugs also, which is a conversation we can direct to the adults. But first, Rachel, your reaction when you see an Arizona Republic headline that says Arizona kids are losing their lives to fentanyl the COVID-19 pandemic and social media share the blame for fentanyl deaths more than doubling in Arizona kids 17 and younger. This is not an adult. I mean, it is an adult problem, but it is not exclusively an adult problem. Our children are at serious risk here, Rachel, right?
3: They really are. And, you know, one of the things that came out in the youth survey was that a very high percentage of kids have never heard of fentanyl. Right, right. And, you know, Some people might be tempted to think, well, that's good news, but it's actually um, a deadly lack of knowledge, because especially the way these uh, pills appear, they're small, they're about as big as the opening to a straw. Um, They come now, uh, we're starting to see them in rainbow colors, and so they don't look dangerous. But what we know is that two two out of five contain a lethal dose of fentanyl, and You know, if a kid has never heard of it and someone offers them a pill that doesn't look that scary, um, you could have a dead kid on your hands. And we're seeing that, um, and I I can't even imagine the tragedy that must be felt by parents where this happens.
1: It's awful. You talk to them often. I do, too. Let me just give a number that uh, we can pick up on. This was a very short segment. We'll have a longer one in just a moment after the commercial break, and we'll get into it a little bit more, Rachel. But just a number for people to grasp the urgency here. According to this youth survey, which is very well done, uh, something close to approaching 75% of 12th graders, the actual number is 73%. 73% of 12th graders have never even heard of this drug. 73% Mm -hmm. of high school seniors do not know what fentanyl is. That is Mm -hmm. the task. You're right. It's not good news. Let's talk about what needs to be said to them and to uh, their parents and all rational adults on the other side of this break, if we can, as we go to break, let me um, just give Rachel Mitchell's website out one more time. Such an important candidate, such an important public servant, such an important race. We cannot not win this one, folks. Rachel Mitchell from maricopa.com Rachel mitchell from maricopa.com she and I will be right back. Even if this
3: loves to die for, cause your bags are packed and I ain 't crying you 're walking to change your mind
1: Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Fentanyl deaths for children have more than doubled. When I say children, we're talking Arizona kids age 17 and younger. We think they know about fentanyl. We think they know what to be on the lookout for. We think they know not to experiment or take... Uh, something that might look like an innocent uh, piece of candy or drug uh, of a different kind. We think they know that. They don't know that. The new Arizona Youth Survey shows that 73% of seniors in high school never heard of fentanyl. Rachel Mitchell, our county attorney, is our guest. Rachel, uh, what do we want kids to know? What do we want to tell them? And what do we want their parents to know? And what do we want to tell them?
3: Well, the first thing I would say uh, to parents is, if you think this is not on your school's campus, it is. Mm. Um, it is so widespread. Uh, as a border state, so much of the fentanyl, even if it's intended to go to other states, is coming through here. I mean, you saw just last week we had two uh, arrests, one for 850,000 pills and one for a million pills. Um, and so it is there. It is prevalent. And the way that the teenagers get it nowadays is very different than in the past. They don't have to go to a bad part of town. Um, It is available on social media. It can be delivered to them. Um, It is cheap, and so it is very easy to get. And as far as the kids, what I would say is this. This is a highly addictive substance. It is not something that you can try and, you know, decide whether you like or not. There are chemicals in it to make it immediately addictive. Um, it is extremely dangerous. Uh, these are not pills that are fa- manufactured in some sort of pharmaceutical company. This is not med- medical-grade fentanyl like you hear. This is something entirely different. And it's, it's just uh, a, a you know, crapshoot what, how much fentanyl you get in each pill. And in fact it's the crapshoot as to where in the pill that fentanyl is. Mm. So even if you I've heard people say, Well can I test it? Oh well, right.
1: Can I bite it, off a piece? Yeah. Can I dose? Yes, right, right.
3: Right. Can I dose and you don't know where the fentanyl is in that pill because there's other binders involved. You might be getting nothing but um, the, the, the fentanyl. Pill.
1: Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
3: Right. Yeah. And and so it's just dangerous and kids should be very careful, everybody, about taking a pill that's given to them even if they think it's something else, even if they trust the person, don't take pills that other people give you. Uh, Know what you're taking, get them out of the prescription bottle. Or you know if it's an over-the-counter kind of thing, get it out of the original packaging.
1: Yes, and I think too, Rachel, you, you're you're the expert, so you tell me if I get anything wrong here, or if you want to amend or correct anything I say. I think too, it, it's important to message to parents that they should know when their kids are going to a friend's house. What's the story with that friend's house and family? If the kid is going to a party, what's the story about the party and the supervision? I'm looking at the youth survey on where children uh, are obtaining things like uh, prescription drugs, many of which are opioids themselves and, and can also put children into arrest. Uh, health arrest mm-hmm. and 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 you see large numbers of them are getting them from family or relatives from their own homes and at parties. this is the, the, right. the there are other areas of distribution of course drug dealers, etc., but a lot of them are getting them from cabinets of their parents uh, cabinets at others and from the dealing that takes place or the handing out that takes place at parties right right
2: right
3: and I think it's important for parents to you know have a an escape plan with their kids, you mm-hmm. know, so that if the kid is at in a party and they, they don't know what to do and they want to get out of there, that maybe there's something that they could text the parents that would let them know they need to, you know, come get them. And yeah. um, so that they're not, you know, subject to the extreme fear pressure that they might otherwise endure.
1: You know, those are two great, that, that's a great point, Rachel. And as long as we're speaking tools, parents can, grab onto and and based on the the emails and calls I get and I'm sure you do parents are looking for help parents are looking for tools uh, one of them is that's right a conversation with the children that if you're ever at a place you feel that you need us to pick you up there will be no judgment let the parent communicate to the child that this should be a non-judgmental call and the child should be praised for calling on their parents to get them out of there right that would be one
3: Yes. Yeah.
1: Another. And also, you know, yeah. oh, Go ahead.
3: I was going to say this is a good Samar- Samaritan state, and so you know if you're with somebody who is overdosing, right. even if you've been using yourself, right, uh, call the police because you will not be held um, responsible if you're calling them and saying, "Hey, we've been using something, and my friend's having, you know." Okay, an that's overdose. a
1: hugely important message. I, yes, let's make that point really clear to anyone who thinks. If you're an extremist, if you're in an urgent situation, a health situation, an overdose type situation, and someone says mm-hmm. "Don't call 911," we don't want to get in trouble. Don't listen to that person. You won't get in trouble. Call 911.
3: Correct. Correct. Call 911. Exactly. Um, and get help for the person before they die.
1: Another thing I would say uh, to parents uh, is uh, consider uh, consider uh, regularly uh, testing your children uh, or at least telling your children that they are going to be regularly and arbitrarily tested. Uh, it, it is a great tool for children to be able to turn down an offer of drugs by saying, I can't, I get tested. I can't, I will lose driving privileges. I can't, I can't play sports. I can't go to after-school activities if I were to ever test positive. That's a kick I've been on uh, for. A a while, anyway, Rachel. I, I, I think any any tool you can give to the parent that the child can use to resist any pressure, pure or physical or kinetic, I think is helpful. My own sense,
3: absolutely. And and uh, the other thing I would say is parents have to be aware of what's going on yeah. on their child's social media. Yes. you know, uh, this is marketed in a way that makes it look even more harmless. Uh, for example, people uh, who are selling. Uh, this type of drug will put uh, what looks like an emoji that's a blue M&M, yep. and that's their way of saying, you know, hey, I've, I've got fentanyl. Um, you know, you have to be aware of what those emojis mean and what your kid is doing online.
1: Nicely put, Rachel. Good, helpful advice. You know, a lot of people want to talk, and they're right. And we've talked about it before, and you have that we need to get, uh, 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 you know, we have to secure our border to stop the supply, not only of illegal immigration, but of all these negative things that come uh, through the border, including, including, including dangerous drugs. Of course, that's a supply problem. What folks have heard with uh, Rachel and I is the other side of this, which is the demand problem, and there are solutions on that front as well. It is a supply and demand problem. Rachel is the tip of the spear for both of those. And uh, Rachel, all I can say is uh, you've got got a big job, um, you've got great responsibility, and we are delighted that it's you that has it, and we are going to do everything we can to keep you in that job.
3: Thank you so much. I really appreciate it.
1: Absolutely. Again, folks, your county attorney, Rachel Mitchell, Rachel Mitchell from Maricopa.com, Rachel Mitchell from Maricopa.com. I think the most important race in this state. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be back with some closing thoughts. Thank you all for spending some of your afternoon with us. Portions of this show are brought to you by the good people of Balance of Nature, balanceofnature.com. They're fruits and veggies I take every single day. It's a blend of 16 whole fruits and 15 whole vegetables in one daily dose. 100% pure, no additives of any kind, third-party tested for all kinds of impurities. It is uh, the single best product I've ever taken, and you can access it, too, to boost your immunity, your health, your energy, naturally. Balanceofnature.com. Make sure to use discount code balance. Also want to thank uh, Jeremy today for producing the show, Produce Pro Tem. Appreciate you, Jeremy. Hope you had a good time. Always do. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Following up on that uh, conversation with Rachel Mitchell about um, the the, uh, children deaths uh, due to fentanyl here in Arizona exploding, and the attempt to um, stop, I use the word arrest, but I don't mean it in the law enforcement con- context. I mean it in every context, including law enforcement, to arrest uh, the, the, the problem of, of, of drug use in this country and, and particularly amongst our youth. Um, this has been obviously a concern and passion of mine for many, many years And one of the things many people will think and have been trained into thinking is that there isn't that much you can do about it. It gets dismissed as a war on drugs. And when it gets dismissed as a war on drugs, it gets dismissed as a war on drugs that has failed. Whenever you are in the presence of someone who's talking about a war on drugs that has failed, you are in the presence of someone who needs to be educated. The fact is, the high watermark of drug use in this country was 1979. Fourteen percent of the population then was regular drug using. The country rolled up its sleeves with stronger, yes, law enforcement, but also education programs, public messaging through Hollywood, uh, professional athletics, embedded messaging and entertainment, seriousness of discussion of the problem from publicly elected officials, from presidents and governors, senators and congressmen, Attention was paid, if I might borrow from Arthur Miller. And within a few years, by nineteen ninety two, after a serious series of efforts, we reduced we reduced drug use in this country by nearly sixty five percent. I want you to think about that. From nineteen seventy nine to What is it, 13 years, 1979 to 1992, we got serious and got it down to 65%. You consider a 65% reduction in any social ill or social harm, it would be an incredible accomplishment. It would be cause to celebrate. And then we did what we tend to do. We gave up and moved on. And we let up and programs changed, dropped, ceased. Political leaders moved on to other issues, and it's a whole long and sad story as what happened from 1992 until today. But the truth is, we can do something about it. When we're serious and attention is paid, we can do it. As Ronald Reagan would say, we're Americans after all. God bless you all. Until tomorrow, I'm Seth Liebson, and class is dismissed.